Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. If you open your Bibles with me, y'all have a Bible, Luke chapter 8. And you guys, you guys stand for the reading of Scripture, yeah? Good. And you guys say, thanks, thanks be to God? Great. I'm going to teach you something new. You ready? Going to have you all Anglican by the end of the day. Now, Anglicans... Uh, for whatever reason, when the gospel reading is said, we say something a little bit different. So after the reading, I'll say, this is the gospel of the Lord. And your response is, praise to you, O Christ. Got it? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Great. Uh, Luke chapter 8, 40 through 56. It says this, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds rushed to him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. And she came up behind him. She touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told him why she had touched him. And how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he said, do not let anyone go in with him. He did not let anybody go in with him except for Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please go ahead, take a seat. Let's pray. Father, would a... My words fall like a rock to the ground, but everything that is of you, anything you want to impart to your church here, would it resonate in their hearts and minds, Father, not just today, but throughout the week and the days and weeks and months to come. Amen. Um, 
I'm, I'm not going to speak long this morning. You're like, great, guest speaker, not going to speak long? I could come back next week, all right? Well, it might be Alex, so no promises. But um, I first just want to have a little look at this passage, see if there's anything that God maybe wants to speak to us here today in Newburgh, Oregon in 2023, anything Jesus wants to impart to his church. But then I want to get out of the way so we can have a little time to pray and pray for healing, a little bit of extended ministry time. Now, as we talk, uh, tackle a topic like healing, it's bound to be controversial for various, various perspectives. Um, now, before we dig in, I just want to make a couple acknowledgments and a couple assumptions that I'm making before we begin the teaching. Got it? The first assumption I want to make is this. We are to continue the ministry of Jesus. Amen? Oh, it's so nice to hear amen back. It's been years in England of silent crowd. So English, when they, when they say, like, you can say anything. You can say God is love, and they just sit there, and they look at you, and they go, in their mind, this is like, is God love? I think that's right. Let me look around the room just a second. Is anybody else? No, I think he thinks God might be love. By the time they've thought maybe an I am is, or an amen rather is all right, we, we've gone. We've, we've finished the intro. So thank you so much for a little feedback this morning. We are to continue the work and ministry of Jesus. Jesus is not simply an example for us, but he is an example of us. We are to be with Jesus. We become like him. We do the things that he did to become a Jesus-shaped person, to be a disciple of this rabbi, is to do the things that Jesus did. According to apostolic succession, even the great challenge from Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he says what? He says, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. The second assumption is this. Jesus did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Gospels writers make it incredibly clear that the ministry of Jesus did not start until after he was baptized and filled with the Spirit. And after a truly miraculous three years of ministry or so, at the end of that ministry, Jesus says what? In John 14, he says, Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will not only do the works that I've been doing, but do greater works. The third assumption I'm making this morning is if you follow Jesus, there's an ex expectation that you're going to do healing. There's an expectation that you're going to do healing. Now, there's debate in the scholarship what uh, greater works, that phrase, is it quantitative or is it qualitative? Is it uh, meaning more miraculous? Are these more miraculous signs we're supposed to be doing? Or are there more? Just by sheer number, with the faith expanding and more people coming to Jesus, we're going to see more of them. Now, I don't really want to get bogged down on that today. It's a bit of a side far, sidebar. But one thing we can say is up until this point, Jesus has given sight to the blind. He's raised the dead. Like, as far as, like, grandeur and miracle, that's pretty high, is it not? So we're at, at the expectation is we, we should be on par at least there. So Father of Jesus are agents of healing 
in this world. Now, the last thing I want to say before we kind of dig into the text is more of an acknowledgement than an assumption. I want to acknowledge the confusion, the distress, the pain, the disillusionment, the cynicism that so many of us have felt and so many of us know all too well when our earnest, faith-filled prayers have not been answered, when healing hasn't come. When we prayed for healing and the cancer and chemotherapy continued to poison a loved one to death. For the times of anger and rage, we feel when a new mother struggles to hold her newborn child for more than a moment because the tumors wrapped around her heart and lungs uh, make it hard for her to catch her breath and healing doesn't come. And these are only my examples. And I'm sure you have some of your own. Healing can be a painful thing to talk about. For some of us, this idea of living in the now and the not yet is not just an abstract theological concept. The kingdom of God is near. Yes, we get a foretaste of it now, but it's not here fully. And there's still pain and suffering in this world. And these questions of why are a daily prayer, a daily question for you, not just something other. You live in this tension, and sometimes it feels like your faith might just snap. But I want you to know you're not alone. You're in good company. Don't give up. Press into community. You might not have faith, but faith of people around you is just as good. Press into community. You have a lovely one here full of brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers of faith who will have faith for you when it seems like you have none at all. And that is our responsibility as brothers and sisters of faith because we all go through seasons, don't we? We all go through times where it doesn't feel like we have the faith to see a miracle, to see a blessing, to see a healing. And when you do have faith, come alongside the brother and sister that doesn't and encourage them, love them. It's our responsibility to do that as well. We okay? We all right? All right, let's keep going. I got one head shake. No, I love you, dude. I'm preaching to you for the rest of today. As we go through Luke chapter 8, Jesus returns from the Gerasenes and where he's asked to leave because the people there are actually fearful of what Jesus has just done. They see he has power over the demonic, doesn't he? He casts out demons into these pigs. The pigs go into the sea. And the realization is they're fearful of what has happened. They're probably convicted of their sin. And they tell Jesus, go away. And that's where we pick up today. Their response to power, true power, is very different and is in contrast to what we just read. And I love the way that Alex has framed this kind of section of Luke. Luke, uh, around the end of 7 all the way through 9, a demonstration of power. It's really looking at the power of Jesus. The author wants us to know what, who we're dealing with here. He shows that we have power over all these, that he has power over all these things. Now, in contrast to those in the Gerasenes, when the people of Jesus, those who have come to see him, encounter power here, their response is very different. First, we have a man of earthly power in Jairus. He was a synagogue leader. He's uh, of high esteem in the community, and he lowers himself publicly 
and comes to the foot of Jesus. And he pleads with him to come to his house. His daughter is dying. He recognizes that his power has its limitations. And he takes a need to true power. But it's quite different than the centurion. Do you remember the story of the centurion? When he comes to Jesus, the centurion comes and he says, my servant is ill, but Jesus, I know your power. If you just say the word, my servant will be healed. You don't even need to come. And what does Jesus say? He said, I found no greater faith in all of Israel than this. And the servant is instantly healed. But that's to say in the economy of God, strong faith is applauded, yet weak faith is not rejected. I'll say that again. Strong faith is applauded, but weak faith is not rejected. And in this narrative, we get interrupted by this story of a woman with strong faith. A woman reaches out, touches Jesus' cloak, and he, she's instantly healed. And I say the economy of God for a reason, because there's, there's some sort of exchange that is happening here. This woman has belief in Jesus as Savior, in Jesus as healer. See, the faith is the currency of heaven, and Jesus affirms it, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, this is a reoccurring theme that we actually see through all of Luke, and we actually see through a lot of the Old Testament as well, and I'll let Alex uh, unlock a lot of that for you at another time, but I want to get back to the story of Jairus today. And we pick up in verse 49. One of Jairus' servants comes to him in the midst of the commotion of the healing of this, excuse me, this other woman. And he tells him, Jairus, your daughter has died. Jesus overhears this and he says to Jairus, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Just believe and she will be healed. So they go to the house and they find people wailing and mourning. Now, these are most likely professional mourners. Uh, it tended to be a sign of wealth and status to have mourners around if someone was sick or if someone was dying. Uh, so when Jesus says to them, stop wailing, she's not dead but asleep, what is their response? They laugh. They cackle. They don't know this girl. They don't know this family. Their response is so just dripped in cynicism. Don't worry, don't worry, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, right. How painful. You just found out that your daughter has died, and those around you that are supposed to be supporting you laugh. Talk about salt on a wound. But it's really interesting. Jesus, have you noticed, he knows that she's dead. The servant comes to Jesus. He overhears it, says, your daughter is dead. But what does Jesus say? He says, your, the girl is asleep. Not full dead. He knows she's full dead. Not partially dead. Full dead. There's, there's no deader than dead. She's full dead. Jesus sits next to the girl and says, Talitha. Talitha is an Aramaic uh, word that literally means little Girl, but it's a diminutive term of endearment. It's um, not speaking to the girl's size or her age, rather. Uh, this is a pet name. This is a phrase that a mother would use for a little girl. The better translation might be something like um, sweetheart. What's the name you call your daughter, your child? Honey. 
The second phrase he says is kum in Aramaic. It means arise, not be alive, not be resurrected. It means get up. Jesus is looking at this child, speaking as a parent would. A child who's sleeping. A child who, when they've overslept in the morning, and sits down beside and takes their hand and says to him, sweetheart, it's time to get up. That is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is up against death. Most implicable evil enemy of humanity since the creation. And Jesus' power is such that he holds the child by the hand and gently lifts her from the claws of death, saying, sweetheart, get up. The late uh, great pastor and preacher, writer, Tim Keller, he says it this way. He says, Jesus is saying by his actions, if I have you by the hand, death itself is nothing but sleep. And chapter 8 ends there, and we begin in chapter 9. If you look in your Bibles, you can do a quick little read. It's, it's Jesus sending out the 12, and he says, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. Now, we, we've gone through this power section, but it's not simply just showing Jesus' power. It's all good. It's not just Jesus is the real deal. He obviously has power. He's the most powerful person in human history. He has power over nature. He has power in the spiritual realms by casting out demons. He has power over death itself. Death is nothing to Jesus, but it's not just showing that. It's as, it's as if Jesus is showing it's as Jesus is demonstrating his power to then empower his disciples to then go. It's almost as if he's giving of an example of how we are to live on mission. It's almost as he's saying, I've set the example. Here, I've done the stuff. Now you go. Go in power. Heal. Preach the kingdom. Go do the stuff. Be filled with the Spirit. Go be like Jesus. Go do the stuff. I've stolen that phrase, the stuff, from uh, John Wimber, if that uh, name means anything to you. Uh, John Wimber has an incredible testimony. He's the leader and founder of the Vineyard Movement some time ago. And John went, uh, got radically saved, had an encounter with Jesus, goes to church, hears an incredible message of Scripture preached, and then he's sitting there waiting while everybody else is going to coffee and going to, I don't know, out to eat, whatever they're doing. And he's like, Wait, when's it going to happen? And the pastor sees him and he calls him out and he says, hey, why, why are you still here? And he goes, when do we get to do this stuff? He's like, the pastor's like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I, I, I've been saved. I've given my life to Jesus. I've read all of scripture. I've never been to church before, but I've read all through the gospels. Now, when do we as the church get to do the stuff? And the pastor looks at me and goes, oh, we don't, we don't really do that here. And he goes, what do you mean? It is hard to read through the Gospels and not have a sense that we are called to do the same, that we are called to live and be like Jesus, to do the stuff. And I think if there's a message, if there's something to say to you, Saints Hill Church, this morning, it's go do the stuff. 
As I was praying for you guys this week, I felt like uh, Jesus spoke to me about one thing and showed me another. And I felt like he said, acknowledge the hurt of unanswered prayers in regards to healing. And I hope I did a little bit of that at the beginning. But the second thing, yeah, he just showed me a picture in my mind's eye, a vision of Newburgh and its streets littered with bandages and crutches, IV bags and casts and pill bottles. And I, not, I don't think Jesus likes littering. That's, don't get that. Um, but I do think he was showing me a picture of what God longs to do in this place. That God's power would be made known by the casting away of ailments for the many in this place. The name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord, that Newburgh would be a place on the, on the map. Now, when I, when I grew up, I grew up in the Portland area. Newburgh always to me was one, it was wine country. Second, it was a place where I got my ass kicked in water polo almost every single year. <laughs> Thirdly, it was a, like the last stop to get sunflowers on the way to the beach. I never came to Newburgh for anything. I wonder if God wants to make Newburgh a place of, um, that's on the map, so to speak. That it's no longer a place that you just drive through. It's not longer a place that you just think something, ah, that's just a place you, on the way to something else. I only go there if I have a real reason. I only go there if I want to get drunk at a wine tasting thing. Now, I wonder if God wants to do something with you wants to do something in this city that makes Newburgh a place of, man, have you heard of this place? Have you heard of the church there? Church Collective, capital C. Have you heard of the churches that work together there that see healings and miracles take place in number? They just believe that Jesus is Lord and they try to live as he did. I wonder if God wants to make you that place, that Newburgh would have a new name and a new identity. So healing. I'll tell you a couple stories of faith. And then we're going to do the stuff. Sound good? Healing. I was 20-ish. I don't know. I was 20 years old. I was at school in Southern California, California Baptist University. I was playing water polo. Newberg couldn't kick my ass anymore. Went down there. Um, and I, for some reason, I joined a, a Pentecostal church. Now, I came from like a very great Bible-believing church. Like, but I didn't have a box for what was happening there. But I liked it there. More specifically, I liked a girl there. But that's another story. Sorry, sweetheart. Um, but like, so I stuck it out. But I had no box for what was happening then. There was healing. There was like tongues. There was like, oh, this guy going like, I want to buy a Hyundai. I want to buy a Hyundai. And I was like, what is going on over here? And the person's like, hey, that's just tongues. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that guy's want like a Santa Fe or something. Like, I didn't know what was going on. I just didn't have a box for what was happening. And so it, it was a Sunday service. And I think by this time, I had like convinced myself that theologically this stuff like happens. But in practice, I had no practice. Like I didn't know what was going on. And so this one Sunday, I'll never forget it, Rodney. Now Rodney was an ex-USC football player. Big dude, like 6'4", 300 something pounds of like built muscle. The NFL didn't work out, so he's like, what am I gonna do next? Bodybuilding, let's see how big I can get. He was a massive, massive dude. Now, Rodney, I knew his right shoulder had been frozen for like 20-something years. Football injury, he couldn't lift it quite past like that. 
pastor says, hey, we're going to pray around for people to be healed. And I'm like, great. He's like, look around. If anybody's got a hand raised or wants something to be healed, you guys are the prayer team today. Let's pray for them. So I put my head down because I don't want to see anybody. Like, I'm, if you raise your hand next to me, I'm not praying for you. Like, let's be honest. This is my first encounter. And Rodney kind of bumps me and goes, dude, I think you need to pray for my shoulder. And I go, all right. So I like look around and I just do what everybody else is doing. You lay a hand on it because that's what I saw other people doing. And then, uh, you remember how I said I theologically convinced myself? The, the way I got there was an obedience route. Jesus said to do it, so I better just do it. I did not have the faith for this, let me tell you. So I lay a hand on Rodney's shoulder and I say, you, Jesus, you said I should probably do this. I think that's what I said. Uh, will Rodney's shoulder be healed? Amen. And Rodney goes, oh, wow, that feels pretty good. He goes, will you pray again? I go, I just prayed. <laughs> like, what do you mean pray again? I'm like, he's like, well, that's what Jesus did sometimes. He prayed again. And I was like, all right. Same thing. Jesus, you said to do this. This is on you, by the way. It's not on me. Will you heal Rodney's shoulder? Will you make it new again? And Rodney lifts his arm straight to heaven. And he starts crying and jumping up and down. And I'm just sitting there like, cool. <laughs> Woo. I, I, my fundamentalist sensationist box that I had been living in has shattered and fallen to the ground. And I don't know, I don't know what to make of it. That was, my, that was my first experience of healing. I had no idea what was happening. And I knew it definitely wasn't me. It had nothing to do with me. But I was willing to pray in that moment. And Rodney was healed. Now listen, I, I share that story with you to say healing has way less to do with your faith and way more to do with obedience. It has way less to do with your faith, way more to do with obedience. If you want to pray for healing, you've got to have two things. You've got to believe it's God's desire to heal people. Do we believe that? Do we believe it's a good thing that people would not be stuck in pain and hurt and disability for the rest of their lives, that that's not God's perfect plan for us. Yes, that's pretty low-hanging fruit. We can get on board with that. You gotta believe that God wants to heal people, and then you just have to have a desire to pray for the sick. As Alec even came up, Lord, would you give me a hunger for something? Would you give me hunger for more? Just have a desire. Just, I, you know what? I don't know if I have the faith for this, but I do want to see people healed. And I believe, God, that you do it. That's enough. Remember, we applaud great faith, but God deals with a little faith as well. In uh, 2016, my wife and I, we moved to Nottingham to help plant a church. Church plant there, uh, it was out of Holy Trinity, Brompton. Um, and uh, within the first couple of weeks of there, the vicar, just a fancy name for pastor, I don't know, we think we're high and mighty over there, um, he gets a call, and it's a woman in a hospital who's desperate. Her husband has bowel cancer. Her kids at the time, is Jem there? No, Jem's not there. Uh, Louise's kids were uh, probably about three and maybe one years old at the time. Husband's on death's door. No faith, 
No experience of faith, but the woman has made a commitment to her husband who is dying in the hospital bed. I will try anything and everything to get you back to your kids. They, they, tried, they literally tried everything. I won't go through the list. They tried everything. Modern medicine, Eastern medicine. She has a chance encounter with a woman from a church down in London who says, hey, there's a church plant going on. You should call the pastor there. Uh, Johnny, my mate, he shows up and he goes, I, I, I don't know what to do, but we should pray for healing. She's like, what is that? It's like, well, well, we'll pray that your, your husband will get better. He's like, how do you do that? Dear Lord Jesus, please heal him. Like, there's not much more. She's like, yeah, but like, is there like, um, is there like a dance you do? Or is there like a, a special thing you do with your hands? He's like, no, 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 we just kind of like pray. There's not much more to it than that. And they pray for him. And uh, in that moment, pain leaves his body. And they have this moment of like, what is going on? What, what is happening here? He's still very, very ill. Pain leaves his body. So they have this conversation of like, what, what is this that just happened? We, we're, we're taking him off his pain meds because he, he doesn't need them anymore. What is, what is going on? And Johnny stays with them. And he, he goes back week after week if, and day after day, really, if my memory serves me right. And uh, he leads both those people um, to Jesus. They both give their lives to Jesus in that moment. And he dies. But he was coherent for all of his death. They had conversation, family time together where the children could hear their dad. There's this unshaking joy in the room that death hasn't had the last say. And that same hand that gently took that daughter out of the bed that Jesus extended is now the same hands that's welcoming a friend on the other side. See, for our prayers of healing, for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus, death is healing in and of itself. For the Christian, this isn't the end. At um, his funeral, his wife, um, very powerful lady, she's wrote, written an incredible book. She used to be uh, the chief marketing officer for Mars Candy Bars. Um, so, like, movers and shakers are in the room. And she gives up and gives testimony of how good Jesus is. And while they bury her husband, her and her sons are baptized. They have this most beautiful picture of life and death, how God holds these two things together in a beautiful mystery that I don't know if we'll know this side of eternity. Jesus sees a deeper need, a deeper thirst sometimes in our souls and our lives. There's so much joy in the midst of grieving, so much joy in the midst of pain as they celebrate that their dad will not be the same that the next time that they see him. I have many stories like that. I've seen many healed. Just this past week, prayed for a guy in our church called Paul. Paul hasn't been able to run in a long time, I think like five years or something like that. He has a pain in his foot. 
We just prayed. Lord, heal his foot. He came forward and said, I'd like to pray for my foot. He saw him right before I left and came over here. He's like, hey, I ran 5K for the first time in like a couple years. I'm like, amazing. Praise God. He did say, I'm going to run 10K next week, and then I'll let you know. But like, but, hey, I'm counting that. Like, come on. Five years of pain, and now he's healed. We were doing Alpha just um, a couple weeks earlier. Uh, there's a guy who came along. He served in the military. He's a doctor now, and he's had crazy chronic pain in his knee for some time. And on the healing day of Alpha, if you've ever been on Alpha, there's a time we talk about healing. This is the stuff that Jesus did. We better talk about it. And we just asked, does anybody need healing? And he goes, yeah, my knee is jacked up. Could you pray for it? And I went, yeah. In the name of Jesus, knee be healed. And he was like, very British. He goes, I'll let you know. And so here's something you got to know about Brits. Brits will lie to you to avoid an awkward situation. I thought I was amazing at healing when I first got there because they were just telling me they were healed. They weren't. They just didn't want it to be awkward and, like, upset me. So that was something. So we'll see. But I saw him a couple weeks ago, and I said, how's your knee? And he goes, you know what? I haven't thought about it for the first time in a very long time. I go, great. Well, let's keep praying for it. Last story of faith, and then I'm going to do a little Jesus method of how Jesus prayed for the sick, and then we'll, we'll pray. Do I have time, Alex? Am I doing all right? Last prayer. This is a story of my dear friend, Britt. Now, Britt, I never thought I would meet. My friend Tim uh, was dating this girl in college, so this is going on about eight, nine, ten years ago now. Um, while they were dating, Tim's thinking about proposing to this girl, and they discover a tumor that's wrapped around her intestines, and it's not looking good. They gave her, I think it was like 60% chance of survival of the surgery, and then like a 50% chance that she could actually recover after that. I didn't think I was ever going to meet this girl. I was living in the UK at this point. They had an incredible surgery. She was like healed by, by the surgery, and I met her, and I'm like, wow, amazing. They get married. We go to their wedding. Incredible time. Uh, they thought because of the chemotherapy that she had been through and the crazy, crazy surgery that she had that they would never get pregnant. Miraculously, she got pregnant. It was this joyful, joyful, joyful moment. But after about a month or two months, I think she was probably about 10 or 12 weeks pregnant, uh, she started like, coughing, figuring out that it was hard for her to breathe. And they went to the doctor and said, your white blood cell count is not what it should be. You need to go see the oncologist again. And um, I'd show you the picture if I had it with me. But um, the only way I can describe what I've seen is that her body, it looked like a Christmas tree. More tumors than you could count. A massive one wrapped around her heart. And so this joyful moment of like excitement and joy and glee, of, uh, we're, we're about to have a baby, is now like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And we pray for her, and we pray for her, we pray for her. And uh, she doesn't get better. Um, really incredible thing about the human body, uh, you can like have chemotherapy while you're pregnant and it doesn't really affect the baby that much. That's weird and crazy. Um, so she goes through chemotherapy. They have to have an elective C-section early, get the baby out so that she could actually start a more intensive treatment. Um, they get the baby out. Uh, we actually fly back uh, that I want to say it was that spring, and the tumors are getting worse. 
So much to the point that um, we were over at their house just having a good time, and she was able to pick up Pippa for a short amount of time. But then she has to put, him, put her back down almost immediately because every time she holds Pippa, every time she holds her daughter, the weight and the pressure that's put on her lungs by the tumors just makes her lose her breath and she can't stand up anymore. And I'm going away in the car. We pray for healing for her there. I'm going away in my car and, and I'm so angry at God that he allowed the devil to rob this joyful moment of being able to hold your own daughter from this uh, incredible girl. And we pray and we pray and we pray. And people all over the world start praying for her. It got to the point where the doctor said, we're going to stop chemotherapy because there's, there's no point anymore. There's one more kind of treatment, but it's, we're not quite sure. Um, so they start her on this new treatment. And within a month of the treatment and healing, the, the tumors in their hundreds have just left her body. It's, I showed it the same doctor that we prayed for his knee. I showed him the pictures of this, and I, he's an oncologist in the UK. And I said, what do you make of this? I think this is six weeks later between these photos. And he goes, <laughs> he goes that's, that's a miracle. He goes, there's nothing short of miraculous there. He goes, I don't care what treatment you're on. There's no way that those things go away like that. See the miraculous there. And I asked Britt, I said, can I share your story? And she goes, absolutely. And she goes, you know what? I, I want my story to be told because it was so painful and I would never want to do it again. But God is so gracious and so hopeful but that even if he didn't heal me, I would still know that he loves me. I've seen time and time again incredible stories of healing, incredible stories where it didn't quite go how I thought it was going to go. I've seen times where people haven't been healed as well. But the one thing that we don't stop doing is we don't stop praying. We don't stop doing the healing. So how do we pray? Um, we just do the things that Jesus did. Do the things that Jesus did. Remember, Jesus, he never asked for healing to come. He never waited on healing. He just commanded it. Be healed. This isn't a name it and claim it. We just are anticipating what we know God wants and what he is capable of doing. The second thing Jesus does is he doesn't have long prayers. You want to know what Jesus' longest healing prayer was? Take up your mat and walk. Longest healing prayer. Six words. Did I do that right? Six words. It's the longest prayer. Prayer, the praise, the prayers that Jesus prayed. It's eyes see, be healed, get up. Jesus says, heal the sick, not pray for the sick. Go in confidence that the same spirit that is in you is the one that is in Jesus. John Mark Comer, he says a good thing every now and again. He says, the creative, explosive, flammable, volcanic, life-giving nuclear energy that gave birth to the cosmos, pulsates and hums and throttles in your veins. That same spirit that is in Jesus is in you. That Holy Spirit is in you. Go in confidence. A good way to start to pray for those that are sick or pray immediately. We see throughout Scripture that when Jesus, when a sick person comes to Jesus or Jesus identifies a sick person, Prayer happened like immediately. 
Don't wait around and go, oh, let's wait until we're like in a, like a community group. Let's wait till a Sunday and then we can get prayer. No, pray for the person then and there. Pray quickly. And lastly, don't be afraid to try again. I think that's one of the key things a lot of times we stop, don't we? We pray one time and go, this would be almost awkward to pray again. Don't be afraid. Just pray again. Guess what? No one's going to die right then and there if you pray again. What's the worst that can happen? Someone, someone gets healed? Just pray, pray again. Keep on praying. Sometimes healing takes a while. Sometimes it's very, very instant. But the one thing we don't want to do is stop. The people of God are commanded to heal. Now, the, the biggest gift that I think I've been given in my ministry life, besides my time with Alex, of course, of course, um, is, is just a style of healing and ministry time that's just like not very exciting. It's not very flamboyant. Um, it's just come Holy Spirit and we'll see what happens. I don't have much more than that. So we're going to do that today. Uh, Alex, if you come back up, we're going to pray that people would be healed. We're going to pray that people would know God's love because here, our motivation is love and compassion. Our motivation isn't the miracle itself. If people get healed, great, but our motivation is love and, passion, love and compassion of God towards them. And we are just agents of his healing. This is way less to do about our faith and way more to do with obedience. So if you're willing and able, why don't we just stand together? Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.